didn't really qualify for paternity leave and they were very supportive. I was very lucky and, and they were very flexible. And so that I was allowed my two weeks paternity leave and then a lot of flexibility around going to the hospital and back. But obviously, I also wanted to get stuck into my new job. And, and it's when you're feeling quite stressed and traumatized, it's difficult to absorb all of that thing at the same time. But actually, I, I learned a huge amount about the sense of team and actually some of the discretionary effort that employers do have available. And, and actually, when people are going through a lot of things and how we treat people, it's a choice. And people remember how they made you feel and how you were looked after. And, and I do take that forward in my career around how to look after people. Welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I believe that no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For far too long, amazing people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children, which leads to gender inequality and the same stale, mostly male, middle class people leading our organizations. We need to change this. In fact, my hope is that many of you listening to this podcast will progress to the most senior leadership positions possible, where you make decisions that make our world a better place. Beyond the podcast, I'm the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus. If you want support from brilliant like-minded peers, join our events or find out about our world-class career development programs, then sign up to our monthly newsletter on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter. You can also apply by 17th of October to our Fellowship for Ambitious Working Parents in NHS and we will open applications in 2023 for our cross-sector fellowship programme again. Today's conversation is with Lucy McAuliffe. She is the Stations and Security Director at Network Rail. We talk about premature babies, having twins and then a third child on top of that, and being the only parent at the school gate working full-time. And of course, we chat about dealing with assumptions you might face as a parent in a same-sex relationship. Enjoy the conversation. My name is Lucy McAuliffe. I currently work for Network Rail as Stations and Security Director in the Southern Region. So I'm responsible for some of the major rail stations in London and the Southeast and a large operational team, keeping our passengers safe as they go through our stations and uh, providing great customer experience. And I've been there about 18 months. I've got a career in transport. So I've worked in bus, coach, rail and aviation. So a lot of transport experience. And I'm also studying for an executive MBA at Warwick Business School. I'd like to say on the side, which is probably <laughs> indicative of our time management challenge. And I'm also a mum to three children under five. So we've got twins, a boy and a girl who are five, have just finished reception, just starting in year one, and a 16-month-old baby boy. Lovely. And what did you used to believe about combining a big career with young children that you have changed your mind about? Good question. So I think I knew it would be, you know, stressful. I hadn't quite anticipated the level of stress, I suppose, that trying to, you know, have both a career and small children entails. So there's a, you know, a lot of logistical challenges and a lot of unpredictability. I think, I suppose, if I'm honest, I didn't always believe that I would have children. So I thought of you know, I, I knew I was gay, but I never realized that I would be able to have children in the way that we've managed, which is amazing. So it was never a given for me. So I think I always pushed my career and pushed in doing what I enjoyed. And I enjoy my work. I love my role and the career I've had. And so it was always, if it happened, then great. But it was never a given. And I suppose I always took on more and more responsibilities at work and therefore have ended up in the position I'm in now. I suppose one of the other things that I 
had not anticipated is that it is possible. I think role modeling is is really important and I don't think there's lots of visible senior leaders with small children. And so I think it is the fact that I'm doing it or attempting to do both is important to share, I think, where I can at work and with other people that you know come in contact with. So yeah, thank you for inviting me today. Something that just came into my mind now, do you think the fact that you didn't have a preconceived model to step into like a lot of heterosexual relationships will have do you think that made it easier as in there's probably not there's not that much of a blueprint for a Mm. two wife three kids under five type life do you think that made it easier or was it hard because you had to actually sit down and work out what it would be like it's a good reflection and one i've had myself i suppose thinking about thinking about today i suppose yeah you're right there was never really a blueprint but also not a clear role model or or people where I was working with where I thought that's the situation that I'll be in you know I work in a very male dominated industry and it was never really something that came up in work conversations in terms of me starting a family I suppose yeah it's probably made it harder when you've got children in some ways like with all things but actually I think trying to be explain that I'm the mum but I'm also the full-time worker and reflecting on the difference between the sort of school playground now with the twins going to school and the nursery environment, you know, it was a huge shift for me personally. So I used to always take my children to nursery and drop them off where I could. And it was just sort of normal that those parents were working and the school playground dynamic, which is a whole different conversation, but it's very different. I have to sort of, I get asked a lot, you know, oh, I haven't seen you before. And, you know, who are you? You know, what are you doing at sports day? And that sort of a constant reminder that, you know, it's a different dynamic. Mm, Interesting. I find this fascinating because there is such a pressure because, of course, on the rare days where you do end up going to school to drop off. I'm not saying your days are rare, but yes, in my case, they are, they don't. <laughs> yes. so when you do go to school and you drop off your kids, there are always you know, most of the other parents. There are people who drop off their kids every day. And so yes. you are the odd one out. Yes. How do you respond to those often well-meaning questions of oh so what is your child wearing on diversity day and oh yeah what are you doing at the sports day which you usually have been given two days notice for what do you respond to in those situations yeah so I was thinking a lot in the work context I suppose around how I deal with being a parent in the work context and then it prompted me to think how do I deal with being a full-time you know employee in school context and I think it is really difficult I think there is a lot of pressure and judgment if you seek it out or if you allow allow that to worry you. I think I'm quite honest. So I'm always very clear and direct in both environments about who I am and what my situation is. So I will accept the fact that actually they will have seen my wife at the drop off more, which probably confuses them more. But I think I'm just quite, I suppose, matter of fact about the fact that yes, I'm working and actually I'm really happy I can be here today dropping off. But actually, I'm not answering to anybody in that sense because it's all a balance. Mm. Well said. Your twins were born prematurely, um, I think. Can you talk us through that moment, what it was like and perhaps what you've learned from it? Yes. So I think it's first worth making it clear that our twins are a result of a long and difficult IVF process. And whilst, you know, that's a miracle in, in itself that we have them and our third child, you know, their birth came on the back of a lot of worry and difficulty and the whole process of the IVF journey, which is very personal to everybody and very challenging time, I suppose, for our relationship and for our mental health. And so the fact that then they were born prematurely was was a big shock, I suppose, firstly. So they were born eight weeks premature. So yeah, huge shock, uh, quite a traumatic experience. 
And then they were in hospital for about four weeks after they were born over Christmas and New Year. So their first Christmas, we were in the neonatal unit in hospital and just in a little bubble, really, just grateful that they were okay. It's hugely emotional. And, you know, my wife and I were also, you know, there's not many things that will make us cry on, on a you know regular basis, but anything to do with prematurity is definitely a trigger just because they're, you know, the world of the neonatal unit is so amazing, the care. And if there's a reminder about how great the NHS is, you know, our experience there was just second to none. But you are in a little bubble and it gives you huge perspective on what's important. So it gave us, you know, the twins were obviously kept in overnight. We had to go home. And I think that's one of the hardest things. And so we used to sit there for sort of 15 hours a day in there, just in this, you know, uncomfortable chairs, just being with them and just hoping that they'd be healthy and and okay. And the one thing you want is to be able to bring them home. And so a lot of the parenting pressures around milestones and, you know, buggies and breastfeeding or bottle feeding and all of that sort of goes out the window because actually what's important is that they're okay. And so, yeah, we're really lucky with the care and the fact that we were able to bring them home in, you know, in the January. But yeah, very difficult start to their lives. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm sorry you had to go through that. It's, I'm sure it's a very tough thing to do. And you've obviously combined such, I mean, that must have been an absolutely horrendous time. And at the same time, also very special because you, it was the first time you were together as a family. How did you yes. deal? And and you were, you know, you were in a big job. How did you deal with that? Like suddenly out four or five weeks, you can't yes. work. I presume I've never been on a neonatal intensive care unit, but no, you can't work in you there. Definitely, definitely not. And I suppose in some <laughs> ways we were fortunate that it was before COVID because actually it made it much more difficult for those parents now. And and you know, we have deep empathy for the fact that only one parent is allowed to be there. For example, you know, we were very lucky. But I was working during some of that time, and I was in a tricky position because I just started a new job. So I just moved to a new employer and I was about three months in and didn't really qualify for paternity leave. And they were very supportive. I was very lucky and, and they were very flexible. And so I was allowed my two weeks paternity leave and then a lot of flexibility around going to the hospital and back. But obviously, I also wanted to get stuck into my new job. And, and it's when you're feeling quite stressed and traumatized, it's difficult to absorb all of that thing at the same time. But actually, I, I learned a huge amount about sense of team and actually some of the discretionary effort that employers do have available. And and actually when people are going through a lot of things and how we treat people, it's a choice. And people remember how they made you feel and how you were looked after. And, and I do take that forward in my career around how to look after people because there's nothing more important than, you know, being with your children if they're in hospital. So yes, it was a challenging few months. And in fact, my wife had said to me before I started the job, are you sure you want to leave where you're quite happy and stable and, and do this move? And we hadn't realized that they would arrive early. <laughs> yeah I thought I had a few months I thought I had, I had, I had until next year it's fine <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny how children just mess up our plans oh completely <laughs> in the most positive way yes. but also sometimes not <laughs> no no unpredictable is definitely the key very true very true and well it's all an opportunity for growth for us isn't it really? I mean not to diminish your events at all but yeah I think it's very you learn a lot from mm. You don't have From it. the harder times in some way, sorry. Yeah. No, no, very true. And I'm just interested, you mentioned about things that your employer did that you will still remember and that you are now doing too, or you're trying to do if someone goes through a personally tough time. Can you elaborate a bit? Yes. Yeah, so I think, you know, I've been in the sort of leadership roles for over a decade and I've seen, you know, the good, bad and the ugly, and I've been on the receiving end of much of those things as well. But I think it does comes to the fore when you are in a 
especially in a senior position and then really going through something very difficult, how people react and how much support is offered. And so, as I said, my, you know, I was very fortunate that I was, you know, some of that stress was taken away. So it was, you know, don't worry about anything. You know, you need to be at the hospital. We will do what we can to look after you. You know, we want you to be okay as well. And I think that's some of the, you know, people have a lot of pressures they put on themselves and a lot of things that, you know, going through in their own lives that will absolutely impact work to some extent, but people won't always share. And so I think if we become aware of things, and if I do now in, in my role, you know, whereas before having children, sometimes there's always that question about how much is, you, know, you haven't had to, you know, suffer some of those things or be through some of the unpredictable illnesses and all of that sort of stuff. It does give me a different perspective and a different lens on on leadership and I suppose empathy and discretionary effort towards my team as well. Mm. And it's so interesting that you mentioned this word discretionary. And basically, the stuff that wasn't in the policy is what made the difference, is what I'm interpreting. And I think, yes, to some extent. I mean, I think it's all sort of a bit of a spectrum in some respects, isn't it? About how much you can proactively seek out and offer that is available, but the individual would never find. And so I think that's a duty on on leaders to make that extra effort and say right what would I need to do to make this really visible and someone else needs to fill in the forms or someone else needs to process things and and not put that on the person who's who's suffering on the other hand some of it is discretionary effort absolutely and is not in any policy yes and Helen tells me that you are extremely passionate about output based working and I think that's quite that's really interesting because everybody talks about it but I haven't met many people who actually openly say yes that is what I'm doing can you tell me a bit about what it is and what it means for you in day-to-day life? Yes. So I think, as I said, I've worked in you know, the transport industry for a number of years and it can be quite governance heavy. And certain organisations you know, can make some of the way we go about doing things more than the output. So actually, the processes ends up being more important. And I think we've, you know, lots of people have experienced that in, in their working lives. I mean, for me, the outcome is the most important thing. Clearly, there's lots of factors around that in terms of you know, the time and the external pressures on you know what sort of targets are set and how collaborative the team needs to be to achieve that outcome. And I'm really passionate about collaboration and you know stakeholder management and making sure that we are in things together as opposed to it being you know purely sort of top-down directives. But in my experience, focusing on outcomes really empowers people to be able to find the way that works for them to deliver those and actually unlocks a huge amount of creativity. And I think about my current team and I'm very fortunate to have a very high performing team. But some of the things that we've delivered, I would never have come up with the way we would do that. And they've absolutely exceeded my expectations in terms of the approach to engaging our teams or frontline colleagues or designing things that we're delivering and whether it be training or response plans or activities within the sort of safety or security environment or things that we're doing for our passengers those things it's all about what's the end outcome what's the goal what are we trying to achieve as our strategy as opposed to you know how are we going to document everything or how do we control the process so much there is no freedom or creativity Mm, interesting i'm still trying to work out how someone who is used to managing by process can do that in a high pressure situation because I think we can probably all you know at the beginning of September when we're thinking about our goals for the next few months it's quite easy to set your output or outcome goals for your team but then I think it's in November when things are starting to go wrong it's rainy cold that's when it's really difficult to manage by output or by outcome Do you have any practical things that you are doing now that you never used to do before you 
you were converted to this way of managing people? I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to trust in my experience. So you can have all the sort of trackers and objectives and targets that, you know, that exist and you can re baseline those and you can review them and you can, you know, spend lots of time and and we do in some respects, we do spend a lot of our time talking about scorecards and action plans. But I think the delivery really comes through trust and how people are feeling in the team. And people tend to get a sense of, am I trusted? Have I got freedom to deliver? Is my leader going to support me when things are going badly as much as when we're really successful? And trying to create that sort of umbrella environment and that team honesty, I suppose that allows people to be focused on what the outcome is. And that doesn't mean not pushing for better performance. It doesn't mean not challenging or trying to stretch ourselves. It's definitely, and being ambitious, you know, we talk a lot in our team about ambition and, you know, that comes sometimes at a cost as well. So we've got to balance, temper our own ambitions with what the reality might be of the landscape. But I think it's a team effort and that, you know, has got to be throughout the years together as opposed to sort of just short-term or process focus. Mm, Thank you for sharing that. Coming back to your home life, you were caring for twins and sibling with a combined with a big careers. Just wondered practically, what are your arrangements to make it work? Are you and your wife absolutely superstars at routines and everything is like a military operation in your house? I'm imagining. I'm, I'm, are you channeling your organization skills from transport into that, or practically how how do you make, you have a lot of nannies? Is there any survival guide by Lucy? Or is oh, it just <laughs> It is survival. I think you're right, Farina. It is survival. So I'd like to think that we would apply some organisational skills to planning life. I think we come at it probably from quite different approaches. So my wife and I are very different characters and worry about different things, which can work really well or be quite difficult because the thing that I'll be thinking we need to sort out will be you know, a completely different priority for her sometimes. So we do have to have really good communication. So you know, we do talk every day and every week. We'll plan the week ahead in terms of diary commitments and just logistical movement so who's where I'm back to commuting now you know not five days a week but definitely three or four and and that is a big pressure in terms of the time and sometimes that's more flexible and sometimes that's less flexible and and the same for her she has to travel for work sometimes as well and she's back from maternity leave and she's working three days a week so there's pros and cons every week in terms of who's where in terms of practically so yeah, I think a work calendar and a home calendar is how we how we run it. We have a nanny now for two days, which is a big financial commitment. But actually, in terms of putting the children first and making sure that they've got stability every week and predictability, and you know, somebody in the morning and after school is is definitely helpful. And obviously, she has all three children as well. So that's the step change. When people say about going from two to three children, the step change is. You need a new car, you need more space and the childcare costs go through the roof. But, you know, that's the reality. And so we don't have family locally. So Silk's so family are abroad and my family are not local. So we've never had that reliance. So we've always been self-sufficient and had to work out a way of supporting our careers and our family. And so it's very personal, isn't it? What works and some things work and have to change over time. And, you know, we just have to keep adapting, really. Mm. And is there anything that you do given you don't have family here, that that allows you to have a bit of rest time for yourself or a bit of time for you and Silk to spend with each other and to bond with each other so that you're still a healthy, happy couple when the children are teenagers. So that is an ongoing source of conversation, I would say. And probably if I look back on the last you know, five and a half years of parenting, I think that's the thing that is the most difficult to achieve. So I think it's very 
focused on, you know, we're very focused on work and home. And then, and obviously with the twins and then our baby now having quite different needs. So one of us will take, you know, who knew that taking twins out was such an easy thing? I didn't used to think that. But actually, you know, we end up sharing that a lot amongst ourselves at the weekends and things. So actually time for ourselves is limited, very limited. So we've, yeah, finding a babysitter is probably is key, but you know, it's, it has to be somebody you trust. It has to be, you know, you have to be relaxed going out together. And, and so it's not something we've relied on lots, but more recently we found someone who yeah, would allow us to go for dinner to a local restaurant, which was an unbelievable treat. Mm, it's funny how these things Becomes so special, isn't yes. it? Even if it's just going to the most yeah, even even local. to the, like the worst pub where we would never have gone when we were commuting before. But we're just happy to be out. <laughs> Very true. And is there anything that you and Silka are doing today that helps you thrive professionally, thrive as as a family that you are doing now that you wish you would have done years ago? So I think. Some of the things, you know, sound, probably sound a bit cliched, really, in terms of how I reflect on what works. But if I'm honest, a lot of it is around setting boundaries that work and they do change and they do flex and sometimes they get thrown out the window. But actually being clear, you know, the children want nothing more than your time. They just want you to be with them. And I'm quite task focused, <laughs> quite, you know, driving a lot of activities. You know, we've we moved house, we need to you know renovate, but we have to actually do that while living in it. So, you know, there's lots of... You know, I'm studying for this MBA, which is a brilliant experience and absolutely transformed my thinking around all of the different aspects of business and, and just learning. And that sort of academic challenge, again, has been brilliant, but that comes at a cost. So that absolutely has come at a cost to my social life. And I've noticed that. And it's another pressure and another thing. So I suppose, you know, me saying, you know, don't take on too much is not great advice coming from me. So I think knowing where your boundaries are and knowing the sort of stress triggers and actually when it is too much dialing something back taking some time if we're able to go for a walk together if we're both working from home we'll try and do that for half an hour you know if one person's struggling the other one has to step in and then that's generally you know it's a team effort but actually being conscious of being grateful for all the positive things this is a choice in some respects and you know choice to have a career and a choice to have a family and we're very happy and grateful that we've got you know what we've got so we also have to be kind to ourselves I think and be grateful. Well said it strikes me you come across as someone very alive this sounds cheesy I'm sorry but you do <laughs> thank and you I wonder I try try and stay. <laughs> I wonder it's so interesting that you're saying in two breaths you know don't take too much on but yet also you do have a full life. Yes. Do you think that actually does make you feel alive? You know, the fact that you are doing the MBA, probably against better advice from all the parenting podcasts. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And, 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 you know, you are doing home improvement and all that. Is that actually not a bad thing that you're doing all this stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to recognize the, the toll it takes when you're tired. So I think some of, you know, the things that, you know, as I've talked about, I suppose, from a social life perspective, you know, this is a temporary state for me for you know a couple of years where we won't be able to do some of the things we were doing together that actually refuel you to some extent as well so that is does have an impact and that is absolutely you know my choice I suppose to bring that level of stress and and pressure on on the family and and you know studying at weekends or evenings or taking time out of that precious time is a massive sacrifice and I've been very very fortunate that Silk is very supportive although that support is probably wearing thinner this year than it was two years ago and so you know you've got to be conscious of all of that I think yes for me 
having a variety of things in life is very important and having activities to enjoy in both work and home is what keeps me going I suppose that challenge and and sense of fulfillment is definitely through variety and some of that activity as well and I, I think the kids definitely pick up on that you can see that they see it and they they come out with you know as, as children do all sorts of things that can either completely put you down or raise you up and some age that you'll realize it's totally conscious but you know I forgive them now because I think they're too small however but I remember a weekend where we'd I think we'd had like I think we'd painted our daughter's bedroom and we'd done something really nice as a family out out and about uh, we asked them you know before they went to school you know what they enjoyed about the weekend and and she sort of said oh you know having a cheese toasty and I thought you know that's the sort of perspective about you know you can have all the amazing things if you want but actually really what they want is very simple and so I've got to learn from them I think that says there's less is more <laughs> that's so true I have that same I think we do really nice things as a family, but when I ask them, what did you enjoy most? It is usually the ice cream, which they do have yeah. a lot of, but it is, that's, they that's really true. do value it. Very true. <laughs> very uh, true. Lovely. And just touching briefly on the dynamic of you as a gay couple and any assumptions that you might have faced when you had a baby and I can't remember if it was you who was carrying the baby or your No, wife. no, it's my wife who carried them. Yeah. Yeah. Were there any assumptions people did make about you? in a professional setting and and if so how did you deal with those so yes and i mean it was only our personal experience but being a gay couple and then going through ivf it did feel on many occasions that people could ask all sorts of questions that many completely inappropriate that you wouldn't necessarily hear being asked of a of a straight couple or a couple who trying to conceive without ivf I think it sort of almost gave a license that we weren't expecting to people to ask all sorts of different, you know, quite intrusive, sometimes quite hurtful, quite personal things. And so, you know, how did we deal with that? I suppose, I mean, in a professional context, I have to say, I didn't really discuss it too much, which might sound a bit crazy, but I think I work was my sanctuary and it was a very difficult time. We didn't know how long, you know, if, if you could say, oh, actually it's the next few months or it's the next half a year or, but we didn't know how long it would go on for. And so I've, you know, it was a bit of self-preservation, really, that that said, I'm not going to open up too much about this whole thing at work. Although friends and colleagues who I was close to, I would probably talk to a little bit. But yeah, people did feel that they had the authority to ask all sorts of questions. And, and I think that's reminded me as well that what you might think is an innocent question or what you might think is just curiosity, actually the impact on that person who's going through something, you know, quite traumatic and might be feeling, you know, on the edge in terms of how much stress they have, that consideration is really important. And so yeah, there's definitely probably fewer assumptions in terms of my career, but definitely even as a mother of small children now, whereas as a in a gay couple, I think there's definitely a slightly different dynamic. That's because people aren't as used to <laughs> seeing that. So it's important to be visible. Do you think having children changed you as a leader? Oh, yes, without a doubt. Yes, I definitely have more compassion and empathy now. I definitely have a greater understanding of the sort of longer term end goal in terms of what both myself I'm trying to achieve, but also with my team and with others. I won't sweat the small stuff as much probably because we have zero mental capacity to do that anymore because it's constantly tired and have to deal with lots of unpredictability. But I think, you know, a sense of perspective and what's important is definitely I've definitely experienced. And I actually have gone back and apologized to a couple of people who I'd managed previously who had several children. And I'd said, look, I actually really respect what you were doing back then. And I don't think I fully understood or had the same understanding of what you were trying to balance. And 
you know, just to give you that. And, you know, they were really good about it. But actually, it's it's taught me that sense of perspective as well. Mm. Thank you for saying that. I haven't actually asked, is one of your children a girl? or? Yes, yeah, so boys? we've got, yeah, the twins are boy, girl, and then a, a boy. So, yeah, two boys and a girl. So she's got two brothers, which we do uh, ask her for, you know, she did say she wanted another sister, but I'm not sure we're, uh, we're going down that road. <laughs> well, actually, I am going to ask you on, on that note, I am, and you can find out, tell me if anything's too personal, but I'm just asking about okay. the decision. So, so I had a third child as well. Congratulations. Against, against possibly better reason. But what was having a third child like for you on top of the twins? Was it what you expected? Obviously, I can't ask you if you would do it again because that would be they can find podcasts online and that would be very bad. But <laughs> what was it like going from two to three for you? Really hard. So I think with twins, so people ask me, you know, can't believe you had twins, and you know, how was that bringing up twins? And I think all of the things that we had experienced, obviously, because they were premature, so a lot of their milestones were at different times. So I think when sort of weaning kicks in at six months, they weren't able to sit up by themselves so it was a very different experience so I suppose from that side you know bringing up our baby now it's really lovely to have all of the sort of milestones and the things that you just go oh look it's just a traditional baby and he does all the things that we never had in some ways so that's quite special he also copies them you know the twins had them they've got a very close bond and they've always had each other and he now has the benefit of you know two five-year-olds to basically learn everything from so the things that we think we had to teach them we're clearly not teaching him he's just got it nailed and he's you know taken his bag and he would go to school if you gave him half a chance at 16 months and so there's you know lots of sort of sweet moments and positive things but in terms of the stress I mean the stress of having another baby is significant and you know the disturbed sleep the unpredictability and as I've said, being, a, being almost split as a family sometimes where one person has to deal with you know, his needs and one has to take the twins is, is difficult and it just reduces the downtime. And I think that from the sort of studying part, you know, on the top of that has definitely, I've seen the additional pressure because time just blurs into one, doesn't it really, with babies. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it fully concurs with my own experience. <laughs> oh, good. <I> <laughs> Talk so much about myself in, on the podcast I see, so I don't don't want to go into it. But yes, it's definitely an additional layer of complexity. But also additional layer of complexity is correct. often a beautiful layer. Not always, but yes. often a beautiful layer, especially when they start playing with each other. Yeah, when they play with each other, exactly. Yeah. So to conclude, can you share any practical advice you would give to your daughter about combining a, a big career with young children if she chooses to do so? Good question. So it's really interesting because the whole thing about, you know, working and parenting from what I've found is people talk about the parenting guilt and things, but it's almost, you know, you can never do both to the level you'd like to, to do them. So there's always this constant compromise and being torn. And the things that I would have been able to do at work before having kids is much more compromised. And yet there's this whole other beautiful, amazing part of life. So she already looks at me and says, you know, I want to work in the trains like you, mummy. So I think I've got that one nailed, really. But in terms of opportunity, I think they see us working hard. They see us trying to balance and trying to provide stability and a good home life, and lots of fun and entertainment at the same time as having jobs where actually some things are less compromising and we have to go to London or I have to go and stay overnight somewhere or something. So they sort of see that balance early on. But what advice, I think, you know, there's definitely something about finding what you love and being happy and not trying to achieve for others, I suppose, which I've, you know, also got to reflect on from my own life all the time that says, is this making you happy? And is this the right thing? And 
what do you need to tweak or what, what do I need to do differently to just make sure that it's more sustainable potentially or you know that I seek opportunities as well and that's what I'd hope that they they see in the chaos. <laughs> Thank you very much Lucy for this interesting conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed today's conversation, you might also like episode 36, where I talk to a group of fellows about expectations of mothers and how to deal with those. If this has been helpful to you and you'd like a practical community to support you, then consider joining the fellowship program on leadersplus.org.uk. During six months or nine months long programs, you will get access to inspirational role models who have experience of bringing up kids whilst progressing their career, You'll get support for practical challenges, for example, workload management, or saying no, developing your vision and making a plan for your career and family life in a way that works for you, supported with a small group of like-minded people. You will access research on what causes career progression and how to implement this practically in the context of looking after young children. And you'll also be able to attend sessions with your partner if you happen to have one. The application deadline for our NHS-specific Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme cohort is on 3rd of October 2022. Details are on our website and we have an open cross-sector programme in early 2023 if you want to apply for that. There are hardship fund spaces available for those in financially challenging circumstances. We haven't allocated those yet and we'll only allocate them after the application deadline. So you can go on the website and find out more there and even arrange a call with one of my team if you have any questions. See you next week.